This is episode 52, Case History. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Maria. I'm Deb. And here's our podcast. It's for the realistic SLP. Yes, <laughs> here it is. Yes. So, Are you staying realistic? I think so. Uh-huh. Yes. Good. I always do. Me too. So Doesn't we're on brand. Doesn't require much effort for me. Good. <laughs> I don't see any other way, really. Yeah. Well, but. we're not like, you know, unrealistic expectations or like inflated types of like views yeah whatever right. we're just doing what we got to mm-hmm. do yeah, yeah. Great. anyway uh so what are we drinking maria right so we have our grateful palette grateful palette bitch line the grenache grape it's That's a red wine it's a red wine and we paired it with that nice smooth provolone cheese and i like it and it's i a good combo i i definitely vote drink it and eat the cheese yeah drink know? it and eat it drink it and eat it great mm-hmm. great verbs yeah really great ones we love verbs yeah and they both have irregular past tense true within them so again great verbs to teach we all do it we all typically enjoy eating and drinking so why not well most do some most some of our clients can't yeah exactly anyway though so today we're focusing on the case history and if anyone has any issues with eating or drinking that's something that you're going to want to find out when you're conducting your thorough case history correct but It's important, I think, to keep in mind that before people reach you for speech therapy at this time when they're calling you, um, they've already been through a lot and you never know what their background story is. So in addition to taking a thorough case history, it's important to start new cases with patience and compassion because you never know who you're working with and what they've gone through to get to you. Yes, and a lot of times I've come across uh, both adults and children, so as a result, parents. And a lot of times they've heard of a lot of, like, negative stuff. and like, Or they com- Googled too much. Or they've Googled too much. And um, there's a butterfly in here, and it's oh pretty... I'm pretty sure that's a yeah. moth. How did that get in here? Oh, it thought it's orange. Where did it come from? Maybe Mike left the door open. Anyway, oh. <laughs> I'm going to go on as this thing <laughs> flutters past me. Oh, my goodness. But, um, yeah, so a lot of times you're going to have people who are maybe appear kind of almost defensive. So I feel like it's important to get the history because you're really seeing where they're coming from on a personal level, too. Mm-hmm. But really, of course, for the actual speech therapy part, right. you know, so it's so what is a case history? What is it? It's uh, a case history. It refers to a file containing relevant information pertaining to that individual client. And these records or files contain relevant information pertaining to the client's environments and histories of services. And this information is useful in many different fields for the purposes of illustration and case analysis. And it's important to take a case history because maintaining a complete case history is an important aspect of providing quality services to clients. A complete case history can help organizations in many different fields determine the best way to serve clients now and in the future. This way, no one's going into a case blindly. Yes. Very well said. I need a little bit of wine after I heard all of that information. Okay. Well, cheers to case histories. Cheers. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great wine, by the way. Yeah. And I feel like it tastes better as you drink it. 
as yes. wine typically does. It does. Like you get used to it. Yeah, exactly. So there's like some basic statistical information that you need to take into consideration to document. You want to know the name, their age, their uh, gender, gender that right. they were born with and the gender that they identify with currently. Right. Address, phone number, occupation. It could be student if they're a child. Um, marital marital status. status. It could be them personally or also the uh, dynamics within their home. Um, their client's ID number. Maybe this is like a social security number for some people. Whatever or they used to be identified with. To right. also ensure you have the right person. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then insurance could be something depending upon the setting. Right, exactly. So there are different parts of the case history, but before we go into that how does one obtain the case history so that would be an interview face to face over the phone email or uh the questionnaire which i guess would be more of a questionnaire if you emailed it mm -hmm. so a questionnaire would be where there's the set of questions and they answer them and um i think ideally you should do both like have this set of questions and then interact and talk with the client with these set of questions or ideally if they're filled out beforehand right so you could ask further about the answers if right need to be. but i think it's but important to do the interview and the questionnaire because people are I way know. way more honest when they're speaking to you than when they're writing on a paper i agree i know i'm just you know in a perfect world that's yeah. what i'm going to go with so uh, this is going to apply to both adults and children because with every evaluation, really, you're meeting adults and or children. So mm -hmm. this is how I broke it down. So first, you want to get just general background information. So like what's their home language, their um, maybe their occupation, their student, blah, blah, blah. Just like the basic. Have they received background. speech therapy before? What were they treated for and what was the treatment outcome? Correct. Yes. It's also important to know if there's any investigations pertaining to this case, this client's case. Um, for instance, I had a couple medical malpractice kits that I saw. So, and all of my notes kept getting subpoenaed like every few months because there were like several court cases. So that's something you definitely want to know prior. Yes. And you want to know what those investigation outcomes were. Great. Thank you for adding that. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Very intense. I was like, whoa. Whoa, but it hey, is that's just the nature of the job. You're and right. You, well, are you should treat right. every kid like your notes are going to get subpoenaed. Good point. That's a good one. I would love, I mean, I want someone to read me back my notes because this year I want to say I am super proud of all of my session notes. Great. I don't want to read back your notes, so don't <laughs> okay. ask me to do that. Thank all you, right. though. But anyway, I think that's the word we're looking for is uh, you should also find out <laughs> the prenatal and the birth history so for a child, are they um, were they underweight? Were there any complications during pregnancy? For an adult, is there already a disability? Um, or if it's not, it's just unremarkable for an adult, right? Yeah. Just, that's like kind of un un uh, inapplicable. You just could write that. Because there. then you also would be like everything was typical until the onset, which was maybe in their 20s or in their 30s, 40s, 50s, right. whenever well, it was. Yeah. Put a date in there. Yeah. yeah. And a year. Okay. The third part would be the medical history, and this can, of course, apply 
to, uh, you know, if they're in a hospital setting, so for an adult case, so like the date of their surgeries or the date that they were admitted into the hospital or the rehab and for why, you want to know like what brought them to you <laughs> for speech. And then for children, I think it's important to look at um, if they were ever hospitalized, uh, recurrent ear infections, that's huge. Um, any medications, which is also mm -hmm. huge and sometimes difficult to talk about. Like, oh, are they on any medications? But it's just a question you have to ask. And but I allergies. Think it's yeah, it's important the way you ask it. I know. Yeah. Yes, that's true. You just got to be objective with everything. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Don't, this is what I learned so much about just talking to people about things that are touchy. Be so objective in everything that you say. Just being like, um, this is the situation right here. We have options A or B. Instead right. of being like, I know this is hard to hear. Because right. now it's kind of like you're condescending or like patronizing them a little uh -huh. bit. So like, are they on any medication? Right. Yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah. bit harder to answer than like, uh, what medications are they on? Right. They could just say none or they could just say any. But like yeah. asking, I would just say, what are they on? So that yeah. they have the opportunity to tell me no. Instead uh -huh. of saying, are they on any? Because right. then that might be like annoying to answer. I hear you. And I get so annoyed with questions. Okay. And I hide it. Answering them or asking I don't them? like people asking me questions. I don't why? know why. Because okay. I feel like it's prying maybe or, or I don't like the way people ask questions. Mm. I just like very objectiveness. Like, what do you want to know? Don't like tiptoe around yes. what you want to know. Right. Don't ask me gently. Just let me know what you want to know. You want to know how old I am? 30. Next question. I'm 31 like, now. Yeah, okay. exactly. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Going back. What are we going to talk about all this whole 31 I don't know. year now? Maybe my new haircut that oh, I am 31. Oh, just new kidding. haircut We could talk about hair and your whole, the whole case history of that. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Totally kidding. Um, anyway, reining it back, reining it back. So the medical history, it's very important. And that includes also allergies, too, I yeah, would say. Yeah, any sort of surgeries, whether somebody had a mm -hmm. cleft palate, cleft right. lips, if they had a tongue Lingual tie. There we go. Um, yeah. If a they brain had surgery. Exactly. Really anything. Anything. Just tell us. We want to know. Yeah. Because we Broken know hands. It all, what happened. It all affects mm -hmm. the communication and the development and everything, really. Yeah. So... Then I'm going to go into the developmental milestones, developmental history. So that for obviously for children, it's important to know like when they sat, uh, crawled, their first words, are they walking? And we always remember that that does have an influence on their uh, output and their communication. Yeah. And their further development. Right. And you can always use that just typical line of like reached all of developmental milestones yes. in a timely manner or yeah. like developmental milestones are age appropriate or yeah. something like that yeah just add the line in there just one quick sentence and then the fifth part is the educational history so for a child what school does he or she attend how are they doing in school are there any classes or subjects that they're not doing well in and also an important part was like I'm thinking in terms of school is how are they interacting with their peers? So right. I would group that. I guess and then also like, do they love art and English or do they love math and science? Yes. Like, I, yeah. Are they very logical or are they very like artsy, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I like to ask those questions too. Well, usually the parent will like tell you like, Oh, you know, they're not doing well. So reading, he really likes, or she really likes to like color. And I'm just like, okay, got it. I get it. You know, mm -hmm. just, 
you know, thinking of all these things. Right. Good and, to know. And uh, also in terms of like adults, like their work history, I think it's important to know like what type of work did they do before? Were they on the phone a lot? Were they like constantly moving all the time? Like, so knowing like the type of job that they had, I think is important too. Yeah. So I feel like that was good and I'm just like ready to take more wine. Yeah. And then wanted to the talk about last thing that we want to get into when we're taking case history, it's very important to get all of the information, but then also it's very important to remember HIPAA, which is the health insurance portability and accountability act. Um, so the health insurance portability and accountability act of 1996 Public Law 104-191, also known as HIPAA, is a law designed to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the nation's healthcare system. The HIPAA privacy rule establishes national standards to protect individuals' medical records and other personal information that applies to health plans, healthcare, clearinghouses, and those healthcare providers that conduct certain healthcare transactions electronically. So... It's important to gather all the information, but you have to get appropriate permission from all of the available parties. Like, just contact the parent and then ask them for a HIPAA form so that you are able to talk to the physician, pediatrician, cardiologist, just everyone on the team. Because the worst thing is having, like, six different people working with one person with six different plans, no communication. And then, especially when you have people prescribing medication which can like interact or react with one another Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's important to maintain the privacy laws but then also take the steps to stay connected and communicate that was very nice i'm really happy you said that thank Thank you you. and i'm happy i didn't have to say that also (laughs) well that was a lot and i gotta say what's important yes yeah yeah so we're gonna uh get into a interview shortly Mm -hmm. after our commercial breaks This episode is brought to you by Covalent Careers, a career development company for new healthcare professionals. Covalent Careers provides new grads with education, mentorship, job opportunities, and provides employers with scalable talent acquisition solutions. Whether you're looking for a job, clinical tips, or advice on interviewing as a new grad, SLPs can find resources and job postings at covalentcareers.com backslash wine and cheese this episode is brought to you by throat scope i love my throat scope hey i love my throat scope too throat scope is especially helpful for conducting thorough oral mechanism evaluations yes because throat scopes are illuminated tongue depressors and retraction tools it includes a reusable light handle that slides onto a single use tongue depressor ThroatScope integrates a natural light source to provide complete intraoral illumination for improved patient examination and outcomes. So if you want to feel like a prepared SLP, you're going to need a ThroatScope. Go to www.throatscope.com for more information. Do it. Okay, everyone. So this was one of my favorite interviews that I did. Um, I like to call this segment Deb Talks. Like Deb right. Talks. Yes. Deb Talks. Um, and it's not with just one special person, but two special people who I spent over a year working with. And 
without any further ado, this is uh, Cooper and Rebecca. Okay, everyone, welcome to this very special segment with a very special guest. Uh, who are you? Cooper. How old are you? Nine. Nine. <laughs> and how do we know each other? You were my speech teacher when I was in pre-K. Pre-K, that's right. Do you remember any of the activities that we used to do together? We uh, made books, speech books. Yeah, and you had two speech books, right? Yeah. Yeah, what did you put inside those speech books? Letter writing. Yeah. And, and we used to draw in it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, did we, we spent most of our speech therapy sessions, we were doing a lot of drawing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. And coloring. And coloring, yeah. Do you still have those books? Yes. You do? Yeah, I do. That's great. So, why did you have to come to speech therapy? Oh, because um, when I was born, I had a cleft palate, so mm -hmm. I couldn't, I, I had trouble speaking, so you helped me. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, you did a lot of speaking still, just sometimes some of your sounds were a little yeah. bit harder than others. Yeah. Yeah, but then now you sound fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. And is school going well? Yes. That's good. I'm happy to hear that. And do you still have speech therapy? No. Nope. You're all graduated. Yeah. In kindergarten, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And what grade are you going into now? Fourth. Fourth. And are you playing any sports? I'm playing soccer. Oh. Mm-hmm. Does your team win a lot, or what? how does it go? Well, today was our last day of soccer for the season. <coughs> and um, we won. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Great. What position do you play? Um, today, I play in like center midfield midfield i play midfield okay i don't know too much about soccer but i'm guessing you're in the middle of the field then <laughs> right middle of the half of the field like wow. there's like it, in the field there's a divide and there's a circle and uh -huh. then there there are three players and behind those three players that's where midfield is. Okay. Yeah, got it. Makes sense. Well, it sounds like you're doing great, and I hear you're doing really well in school. Yeah, we have another student of the month. Ah, student of the month. Second time this year. <laughs> I was never student of the month. What's your secret? I'm always kind and gentle. That's a good secret. Kindness <laughs> is magic. It is. So are you going to hang out for our whole interview? No. No.
Welcome everyone. Today we are going to talk to Rebecca and Rebecca has a background in education, but we're going to focus mostly today on her life as a mom. Welcome Rebecca. Hi Deb. Thanks. Hi, Hi everybody. Um, so we have lots to talk about, but most importantly, what are you drinking? What do we have? Oh, for well, segment? special like debut podcast for me because I've never done this before all for special wine. So I actually have um, a Cooper and Thief. It's oh. a red blend aged in um, bourbon barrels. Oh, okay. So it's got a really nice um, jammy and uh, let me let me taste it again. Okay. I, I really like your wine glasses. Thank you. <laughs> should I should I should I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of you on the screen. So I have Ikea <laughs> oh, nice. and, uh, yeah, so it's a, a really nice, like rich and it's got this lovely bourbon taste to it. It's very mm -hmm. tasty. Mm -hmm. And I picked some, uh, Norwegian cheese to go with it, which no one I know except for the Norwegians in my life eat it. Oh, what's it I went, It's called Nokolost, which oh. means key cheese. And apparently, as I was doing a little more research, it was made after the Dutch Leiden cheese. And the Leiden cities, like insignia, is two keys together. Oh. Okay. Like, that's where the name came from. But I went into Pastosa today because they're like the only place I can get it. And the guy goes, out of all the cheeses, this is what you want? Right. <laughs> I think. We're a special pastosas. For anyone listening who is unfamiliar, if you come to New York, you need to go to Brooklyn or Staten Island and go to pastosas and get some pasta. And yes. I like to get the raviolis. From so that's what we got. They do like a monthly coupon or maybe a bi-monthly coupon, two boxes of ravioli, a, a quart of sauce, a loaf of bread for $19.99. Oh, you can't go wrong with Cannot that. Cannot go wrong. It's dinner <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> And it expired today, so I had to use the coupon. Oh, naturally. All right, well, you heard it here, folks. Pastosis, ravioli. <laughs> um, so I'm drinking, I make my wine choices solely based off of uh, labels. Because I'm, mm. you know, I'm a little bit artificial like that, I think. <laughs> but this one's called Fran French Ambush, and it's um, a Grenache grape but mm. from France. And it's a rosé, and uh, it's actually a little bit on the tart side, more than I anticipated when I first sipped it. And I'm pairing it with, um, I have a little bit of goat cheese, and then I have berries and stuff, because mm. I was feeling like I wanted fruit instead of crackers. Well, it's a warm day. The fruit is very refreshing. Right. It's also calming down this pretty tart <laughs> Rosé, which I had not anticipated. This cheese is actually really good with the wine. What's interesting about it is that it has, it's flavored with caraway seeds, cumin, and cloves. Oh. So it's a very like. used all that. Yeah, it's, I don't know, can you see? It's got oh, like. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> speckles are definitely there, so. Yeah. Yes, my mom bought like five pounds of it, and it's like $20 a pound. Oh my goodness. Yeah. She mm -hmm. loves the cheese. Well, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm envious. Hi, Mom. 
So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about being a teacher first. So mm -hmm. actually, rewind. We didn't do this part. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? And how did you decide to become a teacher? Mm. Well, how much time do we have? Because this I is know. We have like the same background story. I feel like it's like, <laughs> But yeah, we oh, yeah. Can give us a so, version. <laughs> so originally, I'm from Staten Island. Oh, really? Yes, really. I was born here. Oh, that part I don't remember, but okay. Yeah. So, yep. And when I was three, we moved out to Milwaukee, the Burbs in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where I became a Packer fan. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I was and 10. And green and yellow house now. <laughs> yes, in our green and yellow house. <laughs> I love it. Yellow house, green door. Yep. <laughs> um, when I was 10, we moved to Northern Minnesota and that is where I spent the bulk of my adolescence. And I actually went to college at the university of Minnesota in Duluth. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, when I finished college, I actually moved out to New York and started working at an insurance company for a couple of years and then, um, started getting bored but not bored enough that I wanted to do something else because it was stable. It was predictable, you know, nine to five, take the ferry back and forth. Cause at that point I had, at some point I moved back to Staten Island from Brooklyn mm -hmm. and then nine 11 happened and that kind of shook everything up as far as what am I doing with my life? Because you can't take any day for granted. And so uh, the words of, some friends over the summer kind of came back to me about teaching. And I was like, I really feel like I could do something with teaching. I, that's what I felt, felt like I was called to do. Mm -hmm. and I went into the New York city teaching fellows and went through that whole application process and they accepted me. And after a six week training in the summer, I had my own classroom uh -oh. and yeah, I was a teacher and I was like, how did that just happen? Like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. that seems like a pretty swift process. Yes, yes. That was 2002. Mm -hmm. And fast forward uh, 17 years. 17 years. I'm, and I'm still teaching. Yeah. So. so um, you were a teacher before you had kids. Yes. Yes. Do you think that um, being a teacher had an impact on um, your mindset as a parent or starting a family? Um, you know, for a while, I wasn't sure I wanted to have kids because I felt like I had 20, 30 of my own kids that I was with all the time and I would come home and decompress from my day. You know, I felt like I didn't know how I was going to be able to give anymore to my own kids because I, you know, felt like I was, you know, giving and supporting and teaching and just being there. Like, how could I keep doing that when I got home? But, um, you know, when I became a mom and like fast forward to now with the, the elementary schoolers as a teacher, I'm like, let's, let's look at that homework. But, you know, like they're, and they're very responsible and they're generally on top of it themselves. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'll look over the homework and then I'll point something out to Cooper and he'll be like, well, you know, my teacher has more experience than you. So <laughs> I'm like, what? come on. <laughs> So have a very funny. hard time being wrong. So. <laughs> so people say to me all the time, like, you don't get it. You don't have kids. And I know 
that's true. I mean, I don't. And no matter how much I empathize, I, I don't get it because I don't have kids. Do you think that um, being a mom made you a better teacher when you took that leap or what do you think? So I don't want this to be an advertisement for all teachers to become moms. Right. Yes. <laughs> without right. Like, doing that. Yeah. Without doing that. I think that because, and that's not my, that's not my meaning at all. Mm-hmm. But for me, especially when they got into elementary school, and I was sending them off, me going into school and seeing all these little ones who I'm now thinking about have just been sent off by their people to right, be yeah. entrusted, to be in a safe space. I like, I realized even more how much of a responsibility I had to like, you know, love my students as best as I could and teach them and take care of them. And, you know, when silly things happen and a kid gets hurt because, you know, they tripped on a chair or whatever happens, I feel the sense of responsibility even more deeply than I did before I had kids because I'm just like, oh no, I have to call a mom and let them know that their child got hurt or, you know, I have to call a parent and let them know that their child is struggling. And, you know, it might be for a reason that I, I cannot overcome in the classroom and that they're going to have to step in and get some additional services, which, you know, that's, that's touchy, but I, I have the ability to say, you know what, I'm a special needs mom too. Right. And I've gone through this and I know it's hard and your child's not going to be labeled. You know, you might think that it is, but it's not, it's, it's these services and these supports are there for them to get help. Right. And um, it's made me more empathetic, I think. But you can still be a great teacher and not be a mom. But it's definitely shifted my perspective on just the the holistic experience because you don't know where where they're coming from. Right. And then vice versa. Do you think that um, you, without saying moms who aren't teachers, right, right. <laughs> being a teacher makes you a little bit of a better mom, like just because you're so aware of the educational needs and requirements and. I mean, yes and no, because sometimes I just, I'm so tired that I give it to my husband. I'm like, please don't, please don't make me look at a homework question when I get home. Right. Like, like the shoemakers, kids don't have shoes. Yes. You know, <laughs> photographer husbands, children don't have photographs on the walls, you know. I mean, I don't know who I could be talking about, but, right, yeah. (laughs) but you know, it's, I definitely am like aware of, but I was the teacher, it was last year whose kids went to school. I was, the school supply thing is always such a, an ordeal. Mm -hmm. And our school does this great thing where you can actually just like press one button and the whole thing will show up in September. But I always forget to do that in June because it's June. (laughs) Yeah. June is hard. So I was like, I don't know, in bed, half asleep with my Target app open on my iPad, putting all their their things in so that my husband could go pick up the order or so that it could, could get shipped to the house. And like two days later, I'm like, what's going on with this thing? I looked, I never hit purchase. So their supplies were all in the cart. They were out of the colored folders that I needed. Like... You know, and I want them all to be like the vinyl ones so that I'm not buying things mid-year. And it was like such a mom fail because I'm a teacher sending her kid to school, kid plural, kids 
well <laughs> through school without the appropriate supplies. And I was like, I am a failure as a mom and a teacher. I'm irresponsible. Yeah, well, I hear that. I mean, I there are so many times I think I bought tickets to something and I didn't hit purchase, or mm -hmm. I thought I signed up or did, and I, you know, because the the idea was there. People tell you your whole life that it's the thought that counts, but really, mm -hmm. thoughts don't count. No, <laughs> those thoughts of pencils don't count. The kids no. need the pencils. Exactly. And the teachers are like, "Come on, <laughs> the teacher, she should know better." I'm right. sure they're not. They're all very lovely people. I love yeah, them very much. They probably empathize with you even more. They're like, oh, she's got too much going on anyway. Yeah. We have pencils here. Good. So um, when you did decide to start your family, how did that go? Um, <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In terms I mean, of, did you stay working as a teacher or did you take time off? No. So first of all, I got pregnant, like when I was like, so I guess we should start trying. Okay. Boom. And you're pregnant. So that was just how it worked for me. <laughs> and, um, much to my shock, I was like, what, how did this happen? I mean, I know how it happened, but you know, and, um, no, I didn't take any time off. I worked up until, um, I was having this lovely pregnancy. Cooper is our first and um everything was going along swimmingly we were going to go have our baby moon in montauk because he was due in like the middle of may and we had spring break like the first week of april oh okay, okay. the last week of, it was what was it it was the last week of march into like the first week of april because on thursday april 1st which was the day we were going to go to montauk and meet our friends and our vineyards I woke up and I was like, did I went to bed? Like what happened here? And so I'm just putting it all out there. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I Googled it and I ate a lot of lucky charms and had my prenatal vitamins. So I could try to tell the difference between what was coming out of my body. Right. And so then, like nine o'clock in the morning, no rush, you know, four hours later, we're still packing. My husband's like, maybe we should go. I'm like, I don't know. Like, let's just call the doctor first and see what's going on. Cause what if this is labor? I don't know what this is. Am I looking fluid? Can that happen? I was so clueless. <laughs> it's like embarrassing how much I didn't know. And uh, like no one tells you so much about pregnancy. And I want to tell everybody all the things. And then I feel like that would just stop the human race because people would be like, well, I'm not doing that. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I called and, and they were like, hey, and Meanwhile, my, my sweet friend who I love to death and we're still very close friends, she's sending me pictures like, where are the vineyards? Like, where are you guys? What's going on? Because I went like radio silent. I didn't know what was going on. And like, they did the examination and they did this thing called the fern test, which like measures the pH of everything that's going on down there. Mm -hmm. like your membranes are have ruptured we're admitting you until you deliver
wait, what, what did you just say? Like my water broke and I'm in labor. Cause I don't feel anything. And I wasn't, it was bizarre. I, I don't know if I have a high tolerance for pain, if whatever, I don't know, did not feel any contractions. They hooked me up to machines. My mom's like, do you feel that? No. And mine's going like wiggly. I'm like, I don't feel that. I don't, I don't understand why I don't feel that. And so it, it subsided, but they gave me like this shot and this, and they're like, you can't eat. And you know, it's all like very traumatizing and upsetting. And this is probably one of the first times I've ever told the story about without like crying about it. Oh yeah. Oh, are you kidding? We were going to take photos. I mean, Wilson's a photographer. So we were going to have like the yeah. shots and it was going to be like, you know, in like the beach grass and this, you know, white, silky dress. something, you know, people get all these pretty baby bump pictures. And I was like in a hospital bed. And so like, just all of those things that you wanted to do. We ended up going when he was three months old for our anniversary, but it wasn't the same. Right. And like having your baby shower when your baby's already been born oh. and he's still in the NICU, that was really hard. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was really hard. What happened in the birth? So um, they kept me on bed rest for five days at the hospital. And then um, the day after Easter, my doctor came back from her previously scheduled holiday. <laughs> And she was like, all right, today's the day. And um, yeah, so they, because I hadn't gone into any contractions, they gave me Pitocin or whatever. And I had wanted this whole natural birth and we did the Bradley classes. And yeah, it was just really, of course I had like a pink birth plan, which means why not be premature because you made a birth plan. <laughs> so yeah, and I mean, he was, my water broke and I was, 33 weeks. And then, um, by Monday he was almost at 34. And so they decided it better out than in because he wasn't measuring, like there was growth happening and things like that. So, you know, our goal was to try to deliver vaginally and not end up with a C-section because, you know, interventions tend to snowball one intervention leads to another intervention leads to another intervention. And then before you know it, you, you know, you're having a C-section and it's just something I didn't want. I know that it's safe and that it's, you know, medically sound and everything like that. But it was just like a major surgery on top of a childbirth is not something I wanted to right. go through. And so, um, <laughs> yes, I made a plan. I made a plan. So, you know, I took the epidural later because I was concerned that like, what if something happened? 33% of premature births end up in C-sections. I'm like, if I'm that one in three times, if I don't have the epidural going on, I might end up getting knocked out and not even being able to be awake for when he's born. Right. And so, um, yep, at 9.07 p.m., he was born, mm -hmm. um, three pounds, 11 ounces. We knew that he was going to have a club foot because that had been diagnosed um, at his anatomy scan, like 20-week ultrasound. And there had been some concern at that point that his chin was too small. And so we were like, what does that even mean? And of course, like Google tells you all sorts of scary things and just don't do it. Don't Google things. Don't yeah. Google anything. You probably like, had like that mild, what's the, the small the, the, 
Yeah, the Micronathia. Yeah, that's what so yeah, they sent us to like a specialist who gave him another ultrasound, and he was like, "I'd be concerned if he didn't have a chin." It's like he has a chin. It looks like it's a little on the small side, but I wouldn't be too concerned. And so when Cooper was born, you know, I got to hold him for a minute, but he was kind of pale. He was breathing. He was fine, but they ended up putting him on like a CPAP for maybe two hours just to help the oxygen flow. And in the meantime, <laughs> Wilson had gone with him, and they were taking care of me. And then he came back and he said, he has a cleft palate. And I was just like, I think I know what that means. Right. right. You know? And, uh, you know, the, the hole in the roof of the mouth. And they, there was like an, a lot of just uncertainty about what's going on. And when we went in, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night, maybe almost midnight, when I got to see him again. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was so long. Like, they made me wait until I got to one room. It was just, I can't even remember all the transferring and whatever that was. But I got to my own room, and then he wheeled me into the NICU. And he was, like, on this big square thing. It wasn't even, like, an isolate yet. He was, like, under, you know. I think, had, I think they had already taken him off the breathing machine. But he was just still, like, there and just so tiny and alone, oh. which was hard. That he couldn't be with me. And, uh, but those, those NICU nurses were amazing. Yeah. My sister's a NICU nurse now. Is she? Probably the same hospital where he was born. Okay. Um, awesome. but, uh, yeah, so they are amazing and they're constantly going to get more and more certifications. I hear all about it constantly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's gotta be super tough that you didn't even get the chance to hang out with him for that much before. Yeah, that was hard. And then, you know, there was there was a bit of a misconception and we didn't know any better, but you know, we were told like, well, they're preemies, you know, he's a preemie, he needs to learn how to coordinate his sucking, swallowing, and breathing. Yeah. And <clears throat> what I didn't learn for I don't know, like a month and a half is that when you have a cleft palate, you can't suck. You're like a vacuum that has a hole in it and you can suck and suck and suck and suck and nothing's going to happen. And so we, I hope things have improved and that we helped improve them. I'm not sure, but you know, he was in the NICU for almost a week before he got the special needs feeder that I didn't even know existed. And then when we got it, no one knew how to use it. And we were actually petrified that the, the nipple would fill up with milk. Like we're like, Oh, the nipple's flooding. We thought that he had to like, no one knew how to use it. Right. So <laughs> feeder is like, it's a, an extended nipple. So mm -hmm. like the base of it is a bit longer and right. you can turn it so that it has different flows. Right. You have, and there's a, there's a, there's a one way valve. Mm -hmm. So when you squeeze the nipple, the milk will flood into the nipple, which is what it's supposed to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can then turn it in a different direction to squeeze the milk to feed the baby because the baby cannot suck. Right. So, and we didn't know that. But he had appropriate lip closure and like that sucking posture. So that's kind of what tricked everybody. Yes. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Absolutely. So again, for the first week we were using like just regular nipples and uh, for I mean, he was born on April 5th, and by the time we saw a gastroenterologist on, like, May 5th, um, <clears throat> he told us he looked emaciated, which was really helpful. Thanks for that. 
And, uh, and, but we also were working under the assumption that the hospital had put in the paperwork or done what they were supposed to do in order for early intervention to contact us. Right. So I was waiting for these phone calls. So Cooper was in the NICU for 15 days. At one point, at one point they put a, is it a G tube in his nose for feeding? The NG NG tube. There you go. They put that in um, because they were concerned that he wasn't gaining quickly enough because he was 311 and they were like, he doesn't get to go home until he's um, four, four pounds. Sometimes they call those feeders and growers, the kids that they keep because Mm -hmm. they want to make sure that they get, that they're demonstrating growth. Yep. Right. Yeah. The problem is, is that if we had known how to feed him the right way, he probably would have grown a lot faster. Exactly. So it was, I mean, I do remember the SLP coming in and like for the first time, probably six days in and going, wait, you guys don't have this nipple here. Why don't we have this? But also, why did it take that many days? So there's just, you know, it is what it is. And he's wonderful now. And you know, at the time, you know, at the time, I'm sitting there not being able to breastfeed my child, which was huge. I was wearing my pump. I was in the NICU when, except for like nursing shifts. I, I you know, for me, I couldn't leave unless someone was with him or... I needed to go sleep. And, oh, look, I brought my <laughs> tissues with me. <laughs> I, well, I didn't want, I was a little bit wary about asking you because I didn't want to have to like bring you back to this place where. It's okay. No, we, because I feel like, yeah, I feel like, you know, what I've gone through can help people. Right. And it has, um, it has a friend of mine actually, her daughter was born with a cleft palate only, sim- similar kind of thing, and I was able to um, I was able to help her out. And I actually, this is pretty awesome actually. Um, Medela, the the breast comp- uh, pump company, they're the ones that make the the special needs feeder. And um, you know, I just there was really no place. I didn't know where to get this stuff. Like it's a medical okay. supply and not all the medical supply places carry it. They carry stuff for old people. They don't carry, you know, they don't carry stuff for, for babies. And so I had called them and I was talking to this woman and she was just amazing to me and so helpful. And I had just asked for like one or two extra nipples because they wear out. I mean, nipples on any bottle will wear out. And so she sent me this whole beautiful package of stuff. And I was just overwhelmed by that. And of course I opened this box and, and, you know, completely free. And I looked up how much it would have cost. And I was like, this is amazing that they did this. Right. Fast forward, let's say five years, give or take six years. And my friend has a baby. I call Medela to find out about this. And I'm telling her the story and saying, you know, somebody helped me. And she was so wonderful. And she did X, Y, and Z. And the woman gets choked up on the other end of the line. She goes, it was me. Uh, and so I got to like thank her. <laughs> like he's fine and whatever, but just like one yeah. less thing to be stressed out about. Right, yeah. And like I said, to know who to call or figure out who you're calling. You know, it was just, it was, there was a lot of stuff going on. But um, that special needs fear, it used to be named something after like the person who invented its last Haberman. Haberman, yeah. the Haberman nipple. Mm-hmm. Right. But then the patent ran out. So 
ran out. So now it's just called the special needs feeder. So like that yeah. also confusing at one point too, because no one even is consistently calling this thing the same thing. Right. Exactly. There's a little confusion there. Right. So you got the special needs feeder and you figured out how to use it. And now he's doing better. Well, so we didn't figure out how to use it until we got evaluated by early intervention. So I have like a notebook. I should have grabbed it. But I had like a little journal that I was keeping. Mm -hmm. And um, it was taking him like an hour to eat an ounce. And when, and when EIE came, EIE, oh my gosh, that's jobs crossing paths there. When the early intervention um, evaluator or I don't know, what did they? Yeah, the evaluator. Yeah, she came and she was like, she said, well, why are you doing that? And we're like, well, he needs to, that was when we learned right. he didn't know how to suck. So she, you know, she was like, he's never going to, you need to squeeze it in. And like, after that, he just started growing like crazy. Like, What was his behavior like prior to that? Was he like, huh? you know what? He was always such a good baby, mm -hmm. had some reflux issues and we like, you know, we just slept with him. Like mm -hmm. we had a, a little co-sleeper thing next to us, but he was so tiny. He, we would have him just like sleep on our chest mm -hmm. for, you know, nap here, nap there. And, you know, people say what they will about co-sleeping, but you know, my baby is, my baby's survival is what I needed to do there. So like I was the close to baby wearing as I could get. I didn't, I didn't know baby wearing then like three, three kids in, I'm like a baby wearing pro now. I wish I know like all the things that I know now with my like, you know, late term, <laughs> like my baby who's a, you know, born a week late and bigger than twice as big as Cooper was. Right. You know, I wore her all the time. Like I just got, I knew all these things. Right. But um, yeah, so he just, he was just, aside from the reflux that we were trying to figure out, um, we tried this formula and I was still pumping, but because I didn't know how to pump, like I didn't know that I should be pumping every time he should be eating, like really every two hours, not, oh, well, if I go, you know, four hours, I'm going to get a four ounce bottle, right. you know, which is, it, your body works in supply and demand. And so if you pump every two hours, you're going to get more. And so if you go four then five then six hours your body starts actually slowing down production okay. and um your supply tanks because i went from like mostly breast milk and a little bit of formula to by the time he had his surgery mostly formula with a little bit of breast milk but i said i was not gonna stop pumping until um until at least his surgery which he had a ten and a half months and for a cleft palate baby to not have a an ear infection i was you know, I'm thinking maybe it had a little bit to do with the breast milk. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm going to tell myself anyway. Yeah. That was like, that's a whole other ordeal of, you know, pumping on your lunch and uh, the craziness. But, but yeah, so in the summer when he was around um, three months, right around when we went to Montauk, actually for our delayed baby moon with a three month old little munchkin who was about six pounds at that point, maybe, um, we, we had a, um, a speech, not, well, she's a speech therapist, but at that point it was really, you know, feeding. 
feeding therapy and things like that and showing us different things to do and engaging him. And we always, you know, have been very engaged. We firmly believe that you need to talk to kids like normal people and not baby talk. And, you know, he was always very verbal. Um, you know, I don't remember delays in that at all. Um, just the, what? When what? I met him, there were no delays. No, exactly. He had so many words, you know, the, the, those plosive sounds and things yeah. would get a little mushed up and very nasal. I was watching a video from the other day and his tiny little voice was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. So he got the repair at 10 months old and yeah. then you had early intervention for feeding and swallowing. Mm -hmm. But when did you start getting speech therapy for uh, speech sound production? Um, I mean, she, she worked with him, Karen, who's wonderful. She worked with him from when he was like three months until he aged out oh, to, okay. to three years. Had one therapist that whole time? Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah, she was amazing. We still text every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, the speech sounds started working, coming into that. But then there was, um, but then, you know, yeah. So I would say like a year, 18 months, she was doing sound production type things with him. Um, and then we still needed to do more sound production stuff. Um, oh, look who didn't go to bed. And who brought oh, one of the original Deborah speech notebooks? I still think about this notebook because you bought one. It's got a hard cover. Yeah. I, yep. And it's like it was so sturdy. Sustainable Earth, recycled. Yeah. Can't yeah. You can't force. So look, and you would go like, you would do the dots, right? Sa sa sa, right? Yeah. So yeah. Sa, sa, sa. Say, say, say. See, see, see. So, so, so. So, so, Yeah. And you would color them in as you did them. <coughs> and we would do some nose plugging too. Do you remember that, Cooper? Mm hmm. <coughs> A sailor went to see. Oh, we would always sing that. Where he could see, see, see. But all that he could see, see, see was the bottom of the deep blue. <laughs> All right, kiddo. Look at this. What's Beethoven's favorite fruit? Uh, no, no, no. Yes. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. <laughs> great, great. So many jokes. Yeah. Miss Deb had mad jokes. Yeah. I so many it. jokes. <laughs> Oh, look at that. What do you call an alligator in a vest? An investigator. Yes, and Cooper would always tell us the jokes. All right, kiddo. Thanks for sharing the book. All right, good night. Good night. Thank you for that. <laughs> so then I met you because you're friend, you were friends with somebody who I worked with. Yes. She came to work when I was working at Caroline's. She came in and she was like, my friend needs a speech therapist to them. Yeah. And so we actually had, after he 
aged out of um, e early intervention, um, we had a therapist who was supposed to be working with him with speech sounds, but she was not doing um, things that were apparently research based. Oh, okay. And um, she had been recommended, but um, it just and we actually we used her for a whole year. And I thought I saw some, some improvement, some progress, but when he got his evaluation with his pallet team at the hospital, they were just like, this is not the progress that we would want to see. And right. you had originally been recommended before, but because this was, this other person was, I don't know, closer or something, I never actually, it, that one happened faster, so I never reached out. And again, <laughs> We missed out on a year of Miss Deb. But. I do, now I do remember. It was almost I, the first time. I think we talked very, very briefly. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you contact. I remember when you contacted me a year later. And I was like, okay, I remember where this is coming from. Yeah. Because the expectation after that uh, repair surgery is typical speech. Right. It shouldn't be good for someone who had uh, a surgery. Mm -hmm. It'd just be as if you couldn't tell. Right. And, you know, the other concern also is that making particular sounds and being able to form those sounds and make them and enunciate those things determines whether or not you're going to need a second surgery to lengthen the palate. Right. Which nobody wants to have to go through. Right. So right. when you're not seeing that progress, you start to get nervous about what's going to happen next. So when he went to pre-K and cause I think we actually started working with you in the summer before pre-K. Yeah. I so like, I was working for my agency and then I was like, yeah, of course I'll help you. And you lived like, I don't know what it was like four blocks from me just over the highway. Yep. So I was like, yeah, we'll get it done. And I, there I am just all casual. Meanwhile, like you've been through all this stuff. <laughs> That's why I'm just like really trying to make this. I, I love that we're doing this so that, you know, I didn't take into consideration that you had been through all these crazy things. I was like, yeah, I'm available. So whenever we can make it work, we'll make it work. And you're like, okay, the paperwork went through. I got an email. Can you come over tonight? And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I remember it was almost immediately, and you, uh, you, you, you prefaced it with, like, I realized, like, this is last minute, but, like, we're home, and you want to, can you do it tonight? And I think I did, I went over that night. Yeah, I think so. And we had also been without the other therapist for, like, three weeks. Right. And my whole, my whole thing at that moment was, you know, we were so used to him having constant therapy. Whenever, like, as long as we weren't out of town, we kept those appointments, you know, religiously. And um, so for him not to have any therapy for three weeks, I was just concerned about regression and not being willing to, you know, him not being willing to get back to work. You know, because I mean, when you're three, <laughs> you know, you have to make it fun and you made it fun and productive. You can make it fun and not be productive or you could be fun and productive. Right. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I did my best. That was, um, you guys, that was my, um, second year. That mm -hmm. was my first year as a licensed therapist. Mm -hmm. 
that I worked with. We never know. <laughs> we never would have known that. Yeah, I was. Um, it was like my first, it was like right when I got my license because I started um, in June the year before with my mm -hmm. CM. That's like your first year. Um, and then, yeah, so then in that year, then I would go to his preschool and then I found out mid-year, he whispered in my ear that his mom was going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then, and then that's when you guys moved back, you moved from Brooklyn. So then we ended our year with, um, you were still going to doctors in Brooklyn. So I was meeting you, like we're doing speech in the waiting room. Yes, there we did that. We did the library. Library, the park. Yep, we went to your apartment a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, we just kept I it mean, going until yeah. it was the last. Until the I think we even got an extension. I don't know. Did we get an extension? I feel like we we went long. Like we did it till as long as you could. Yeah, I want to say we went like up until September before he started kindergarten. Right. And so then when he started kindergarten, he was in the public school system here, local school. And I want to say by December, January, maybe January, February, they were telling me like, he needs to graduate from speech. He doesn't need it anymore, which, you know, I sort of approached with trepidation. I think I texted you like yeah. telling me he's done. <laughs> what a, what do I need to fight for? Like, am I fighting for anything? You know, and so as an educator, let me put that teacher hat back on again. Every time one of my students leaves the classroom for services, they're not getting the lesson that I'm teaching. Right. There's right. no time in the day for me to take them to the side and give them this particular lesson. And I don't know if that's the lesson that's happening in you know, in the speech room or not. And so, and that was one of their concerns was that, you know, he, excuse me, that he would not be Everything you're doing is only helping and nothing is hurting. Right. If you're going to like unnecessarily pull a kid from a class and right. cause them to not be able to get that information, then you better have a very good reason. And he, exactly. when we started, he did have, uh, he did, present with a bunch of distortions and uh, omissions and substitutions right sounds but by the end he sounded beautiful I thought he was right. so, he was so clear um, he really took to every he was so what I remember like so coachable like you mm -hmm. told him what to do he understood and he applied it and then we just right. practiced it we got into our own routine he really liked to watch me draw. He liked to color it in. So we really didn't have to have too many fireworks happening in the speech therapy section because we had developed like our own set of expectations. Yeah. And I remember ending with you guys being like, oh, like we were both talking like, oh, maybe he should get speech, like finish it out for the year. He's transitioning to a different school. Um, but it was still kind of like on my brain, like he's doing so well, he could be discharged. But then there's always that idea, like, you know, carryover and transitioning and stuff. Right. And I'm remembering that something had come up where 
I was like, do I need like something about an outside evaluation? It's not everything well, is pleasant. So Remember another of that because you felt like his sounds were regressing, regressing a little bit, and that he right. was a little bit slushy and not using yeah. all the strategies. Um, that was in first grade, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so because Mike came over too. Well, yes, he did. Was that no? That was kindergarten because you had because we were also the baby. Like uh, your baby was still a baby. She was still a baby. She was still was a baby. baby. Well, because he did he did kindergarten, oh, so maybe no, I'm wrong. You're right. Was it? That was like our last session together when she was still, mm -hmm. and you guys were talking about Sopranos. Now I'm remembering it. Okay, <laughs> then a year later, then because both times we had dinner. So, yes. <laughs> so I kept applying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I remember uh, being a little concerned about that because, you know, one of the things that um, has stuck with us, um, even today when I told Wilson that Cooper was going to come down and talk to you for a couple of minutes, he was like, loud and proud, Cooper. <laughs> you know? And we say that to him all the time because compared to Connor, son number two, right. um, the words flow so much. <laughs> and I don't... And I don't think it has anything to do with the cleft palate. It's just Cooper's personality where he's a little bit more reserved. Right. Whereas Connor is just more like me and all the words will come out. He has just, from the day I met him, been like the silliest kid I ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Your middle child. Yes. <laughs> and guess what? Then this happened, then this happened. And he. <laughs> He was so good at, like, he's two years old, recalling, he's retelling stories with a distinct beginning, middle, and end. So, like, yes. accurate details, too. Yes, which he just got knocked on for his reading level, by the way. He's like, I didn't retell the story good enough. What? Like, I told it from the end back to the beginning. Um, so, at least he knows what he did. I'm like, yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> was that, like, those FMP, was it an FMP test? Yeah, it was FMP. I can't stand the criteria for that. There's so many kids that I see, like, they don't move up because it doesn't, like, follow the exact paper. So, oh, don't get me wrong. He's, he's, he's above and beyond. But, you know, of course, mom, the teacher, and mom, this mom, is right. like, wait, you didn't get, like, like, one more? Like, what kept you from the next one? Not right. that I'm knocking him for what he did, because I'm so proud of him for where he is. But, right. you know, part of me is like, well, what's the next step? Like, why, what did we, what did we miss? Right. We can work on it, you know. Yeah, he just, he's going to be a creative writer one day. That's, a lot of good stories start from the end, just like our episode. We started from the end with we did. right now. Yep. So that was just great storytelling on his part. Yes, it was. <laughs> it really was. So. Um, so, yeah, this, your story, it's, I mean, you give me goosebumps every time I hear it. Um, and yeah, I really hope somebody listens to this and that they find relief in it. I'm wondering to end our episode, do you have any inspirational quotes or mantras that you want to leave anybody with? What do you tell yourself every day or? You know, I, do I tell myself anything every day? I pray a lot. Um, more than I did, but like, I just, I look back and see, um, see God's hand in so many things in like making 
things happen that happen. Like the fact that he had a cleft palate and micronathia could have led to him having a trach put in because their tongue when they're born is often far too big for their mouth and it falls back and it blocks their airway. And he had a massive tongue tie. (laughs) When did he get that? He was taken care of when he had his cleft surgery. Okay. So I think that he still may, he may actually even be able to get more. He probably is still tied a bit, but it was very far forward. And I'm like, God knew that I could handle a club foot and a cleft palate, but a trach would just be too much. So, so I'm just like, wow. You know, when you just look at these things and how just, you know, one choice to the next to the next, how we, we didn't have to worry about it. Cause even then not knowing what I was doing and not knowing what we were doing, we were still doing the best that we could and making the right decisions. And it was working out. So, I mean, you know, the, um, the early intervention, um, social worker, maybe she, when I, um, at one point she'd asked me like, would we have more kids, you know, and they come from a community where they have a lot of children. And I said, yeah, you know, I, and he was still little. And I said, yeah, I'm not ready yet, but I would. And she was like, even with all this stuff, I'm like, yes, I would just know what to do better. Like I would know what to do and I would know how to do it better. And so that just sort of prepared me every time. I, you know, my whole thing is life happens and it is what it is. And you just have to like take it and and do the best that you can with what you know and not be afraid to reach out to people and also not to be able to not be afraid. I'm sorry, not be afraid to just tell all your stuff and be real with people. And, you know, it, makes me really proud of Cooper when none of his teachers are ever aware that he ever had a cleft palate. And that was a, you know, a speech thing was, was a problem for him. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's really last words, but. Yeah. But this whole, like you can be better next time. And the, your other two children actually were born without any complications. Exactly. Exactly. But you were able to help your friend who would have been, lost as much as you were in that situation so I just I think I've seen um the value even as like like my breastfeeding journey from one child to the next to the next because Connor had a lip tie and a tongue tie which you know I was like I can't I can't nothing can be easy right now like what's going on but we didn't understand about the tongue tie so we went through a lot of a struggle with breastfeeding and I had a really small community of help at that point And then when Olivia came along, um, like the magic of Facebook and like breastfeeding mom groups and things like that, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I wish I had known that. Or I didn't, you know, just, you just grow. We're always like, we're growing into new selves, like just a different version of ourselves as we go. Yeah. So it's, that's great too, because social media always gets this bad reputation of it's like, people are flaunting things or it's unrealistic, but Mm -hmm. actually, you know, you do have a great opportunity to build community and Mm -hmm. reputation. So there are, it's just what you do with it. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And I really hope that people learn from your experience. Um, And is there anything that you wanted to plug? I mean, 
I don't know, you don't have like a social media presence or anything that, or. No, I mean, I, you know, I just tweet and send people to my donors choose page. Oh yeah. So what's what's the donors choose page? Um, or do you feel comfortable sharing? Well, my, my Twitter is Reb825. Reb825. Yeah. So if anybody wants to tweet me, I don't have any projects posted right now. Okay. And sometimes I share, you know, Packer stuff and. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope things that make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't do that. I know. Um, I know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome, Deb. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. That was excellent. I loved listening to that. And uh, our tip of the night is just to take it easy and have a great day, night, afternoon, weekend, week. Yeah, after all that, it's like, you know, sometimes you got to really just appreciate the little things in life. And just sometimes people are really going through a lot. So, yeah, puts things into perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.